Welcome back, Blue Jays fans, to a long-awaited Blue Jays Bites podcast. I'm Brian Dott, your host tonight from whiteandbluereview.com. Joining me, as always, Matt DeMarinas, our insider for Blue Jays Athletics at Creighton University. Uh, this spot podcast sponsored and brought to you by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Lawler's has been a longtime advocate of this podcast, and we appreciate them being on board. So um, just a quick shout-out to Lawler's for all they do for Creighton Sports. And a big shout-out to Matt D. for all he does for White and Blue Review and covering the Blue Jays, bringing you every angle he can, coining terms like Kyrie Fence, all these fun things that Matt's up to. Matt, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me back on. That's like my uh, Kyrie fence is like my you know shining moment right now since he's the like the talk of the town. I'm not a lawyer. I'm married to one, and uh, she tells me you should probably try to trademark that. You know, start throwing that on some shirts. If if she wants to drop some paperwork, you know, <laughs> okay, I'll be here all night. So uh, legalzoom.com, Matt. <laughs> legalzoom.com. No, but really, that kicks us off, right? Uh, before we got on the air, I was reading a little piece that NCAA.com had written up, uh, probably through AP or something, about Kyrie Thomas. Um, obviously, he's had a really solid couple weeks here. Um, obviously, defensively, he's been on his game all season long. Frustrating. The Keelan Martins and Josh Hart's of the world, but stepped it up the last couple games for the Blue Jays. I know it's been a couple weeks since we've podcasted. Um, maybe let's start there. What has Kyrie Thomas shown you in practice and in games and just being around the, the program, Matt, that, that this time last year he was really faltering, right? He was really struggling down the stretch here of oh, yeah. play. What's that difference look like for you? And how do you see this playing out, you know, kind of the next three weeks as we wrap up Big East play? Well, it's kind of funny because I don't think he's actually playing all that differently than he was throughout the whole entire season. I mean, I don't think his numbers are that different. Um, I think maybe his assists are a little up. Knocking down some threes, though. Yeah, he's got the three-point shot back. But, I mean, he was hitting that in non-conference. He just kind of hit a little skid there. At the beginning sure. of conference play. Um, you know, so not to just, you know, kind of splash that narrative a little bit. But, you know, I thought he's been um kind of Creighton Superman like the whole season based on, you know, he guards the other team's best player and shuts them down and, you know, makes their looks difficult and uh you know, I just think I think maybe he was a little overlooked, you know, it's possible because Creighton had so many weapons and, you know, when one of those goes away or gets taken away, however you wanna however you wanna phrase it for the basketball gods, uh <laughs> it's uh it's, it, you know, it shines the light on the rest of them, and I think you know a lot of people were looking to Kyrie to kind of step into a more of a leadership role, given that he is a sophomore, but really he's you know kind of his age. He's a junior in age, and you know he's kind of going towards the end of his second season, so he's really almost a junior in you know playing time experience at the college level. So you want to look for a guy like that to kind of start stepping into a leadership role more. Sure. And, think that's kind of what he started to do just both out of necessity but you know also he's a really competitive guy and you know he doesn't he didn't he doesn't he's not one who reads the press clippings he doesn't hear all the talk about you know Creighton season being you know declared over after Maurice's injury but um you know he's certainly not naive to all of that and you know he's a guy with a chip on his shoulder 
in you know every day in practice and games and um for him to be one of the guys to step up i think it's you know a credit to him but it's one of the things that i think creighton he needed to be one of the guys that stepped up in in watson's absence i think yeah i mean because he does i mean let's be honest he does some things that no one else on this team can do uh, especially on the defensive end of the court so like you said that hasn't really gone away it's been extremely consistent which you know that's what you want out of your presume well we'll presume it here because right we're smacked up in the midwest and we watch him every single game Mm -hmm. but um you know your presumed defensive player of the year in the big east that's what you need consistency and obviously then the ability to to consistently perform well but um you know, I think that the offensive end, he just he just seems like things are comfortable for him right now. And, and you know, that doesn't then end up with Marcus feeling, Marcus Foster feeling that everything has to be on his shoulders. Obviously, Justin had a, uh, Patton had a slow start against DePaul. Um, you know, these are guys that, you know, there's a lot of talk about these guys. There's pressure, whether it's self-imposed or not, whatever. Um, but Kyrie can kind of just go out there and, and let things come to him and, and focus on the defensive end and then take whatever he can on offense. And we've, I feel like we've really seen that the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a guy who, you know, can really play just almost like his aggression can really just carry him throughout an entire game, you know, on both ends of the court. I mean, he's one of the few guys that can create offense with his defense. You know, if he gets deflection steals blocks or, you know, chasing down loose balls and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and then getting downhill, um, constantly being on the move, cutting, and, you know, I think that's one of the more underrated parts of his game that people don't necessarily notice all the time. Um, you know, because I think you'll look at his you look at his points per game, you look at his shooting percentage, and you kind of think that's the key to him being on or off offensively. But, I mean, his cutting, you know, the way he constantly keeps guys chasing him, you know, opening up, you know, some – some back screens, some down screens for Justin Patton. I mean, just his movement without the ball on the offensive end creates so many things because he is a guy you kind of have to watch for because, you know, he can he can backdoor you with a lob to the rim. If he catches on the run, he can cut to the hoop and, you know, score through contact, draw a foul. So, you know, when he gets moving, when he's cutting, when he's constantly being aggressive with or without the ball, it really puts a lot of stress on the defense. So here's my dad's theory, right? My dad's seen more Creighton basketball games in his life than you and me combined, plus a lot of the <laughs> listeners on here. And, you know, he was, like all of us, and especially our good friend Brody Darren, extremely impressed with the flush after the press break against DePaul. Um, and his theory is that he's still pissed that he missed what would have been the game tie and layup or dunk or whatever you want to call it against Xavier. And then that is like fueling him right now because, I mean, maybe that's just internalized for my dad and myself and others. But, I mean, his play in the last minute and a half of the Xavier game on defense trying to get the Jays back into it was oh. short of spectacular. And you just I mean, feel for a guy because he he was in between on that steal and layup that uh, he just he, he could have he flushed that with one hand, two hands. He could have jump-stopped gone up, dunked it, lay up, whatever, and he kind of got caught in that in-between lane and just bunnied, you know, just just missed the hiccup, the bunny. And uh, and I think my, my, dad, my dad is convinced. Like, he, you know, he's like basketball psychiatrist guy. Like, he's got this figured out. 
what do you think? I mean, have you seen anything with Kyrie after that? Or I mean, I know that he's quick to to shed and and um, brush things off, but like you said, he's super competitive. He every time you hear him talk. It's that he's not playing his best. He can play better. It's not his perfect game. He's still got things to work on. Something like that's got to eat at a guy, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, if you look at last year, um, that's maybe one of the things that might have stuck with him for a few games. So it was kind of good to see him, you know, bounce back from that right away and, you know, still be aggressive. I, 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 I think that. I think he's getting better at kind of just shrugging that stuff off. I mean, I'm sure it ate him and then he missed that. But. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, there, there's, you kind of have to, I mean, it's one of those things where you kind of just have to be like, well, I mean, that's not something I'll do all the time. So I'll just have to shrug it off. And, and I think. Just destroy rims the next time like he did against DePaul. Yeah, because, I mean, like I said, he's the one, he's the guy that needs to. You know, his play, his energy, everything is going to dictate how well this team performs the rest of the year. So if he kind of goes through one of those slumps, you know, and if he starts feeling bad about himself, if he starts going through doubts like he did in the second half of last season, this team's, you know, this, then this team season is essentially, you know, cooked pretty much because, you know, he's the guy that can make a difference on both ends of the floor. And the other, only other, only other one that can do that is Justin Patton. Um, but he can't affect the game. He can't affect – you know, Justin can affect the game down low with unhelped defense. He can't really – No. You know, and in ball screens, you know, he can blow up a ball screen here and there. But, I mean, he can't affect the the, the game 94 feet like, like Kyrie Thomas can. Um, certainly not on both ends of the floor. So, I think – you know, I, I just think, you know, as good as Marcus is – and as dynamic as Justin is, and as good as the pieces are around them, I think Kyrie is easily the most important piece going forward. And his play, you know, you don't if he goes through a slump or if he goes through a stretch of doubt or um, where he has to fight his confidence again, like he was last season. I don't think um, Creighton's postseason run will last very long. So he's he's really important as far as his mentality. When he misses shots, he can't get down on himself, and he can't let it affect the other parts of his game. Um, yeah, yeah, and I. Th- just a lot of confidence comes from knocking out a couple shots, right? So you go back to Seton Hall. He goes 0 for 1 for 3. It takes him until the Butler game to knock down a 3 at all. So his first four games of Big East play goes 0 for from outside. Hits a couple against Butler. Doesn't really need to play much against Truman State, but he still misses a couple shots there from from range. At Xavier in that win, he goes 0 for 4 from range. 0 for 2, 0 for 4. Uh, against Marquette and Georgetown in two losses that the Jays suffered. And those, you know, he's going for single digits in each of those games. Now, again, he's expending a ton of energy and doing a lot of other things on the other end. But, you know, those were two of Creighton's worst showings all season. The Georgetown game was just whatever. Like, we flushed that down the toilet that night, you and I did. Um you know, then he starts going off, right? Hits a couple against DePaul at home, goes four for five from deep against Butler on the road in a game that Jays, I mean, ultimately it's going to come down to that's a game they needed to win. And Xavier, I know they didn't win, but he knocks down three from, from deep and hits, you know, one of two from DePaul, plus doing a lot of other things. It's just, they're so different. When I'm going to 
how many more times is Creighton going to play DePaul this year? Because they seem to be the get right team. You know, just God, I wish they could play them like every second or third game. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, you know, they came off the Georgetown game and they were reeling and everybody's doubting, and then all of a sudden, yeah, just go beat up on DePaul a little bit, get your get your get your swagger back. God, it's funny though, because you know, and then the same thing with Xavier, they blow that game and then you know get a week off and. You had to go take seven days to prepare for DePaul and figure it out yourself, and then you go and beat the beat the beat the doors off of them and in their own building, and now everybody's like feeling good again. And yeah, DePaul's like the get right team in this league. Right. I mean, obviously the answer is if you had seven days to get prepared for one Big East opponent, you'd choose Villanova probably. Right. Right. Yeah. And probably the least. I mean, God, this is gonna sound so terrible, but like, let's just say, like, DePaul wasn't rewriting the offensive strategy books about no. like with what we saw on Saturday. So, realistically, like, Preston probably put that <laughs> put that scout together yeah. rather quickly when he's you know traversing the lands trying to get some of these five star recruits to come to Omaha or show up in Chicago and watch the Jays play there too. But you know. Like, give us the seven days against Nova, man. I mean, like, we need that. Well, I mean, you guys, I don't know. Like, Preston certainly doesn't have, like, the reputation of, like, a D-Rock or a Lutz for a scout goes. But, I mean, if you guys ever watch his scout, I mean, or just watch his coaching in general, like, he really challenges the guys, like, in, you know, individually in kind of like a, you know, a friendly, competitive, trash-talking manner. It's pretty funny watching him deal with Marcus and Taz and, <laughs> You know, Davion and those guys, like, and and to Preston's credit, let's not joke around, like, that dude has serious basketball skills on his own. Like, he was really good at Rhode Island, and he still, you know. Can hold, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean, he beats Marcus, and, like, he probably, I don't know if he can beat Kyrie, like, it's pretty easy because Kyrie can check him up, but, I mean, like, he beats Marcus all the time, and, you know, he's constantly talking crap to Davion, and <laughs> zeroed in. Like, he doesn't, like, anytime those guys get too much of an ego, like, he's there to, like... Like, Davion lost to Preston in horse, and so that's why I had to do his hair that way or something like pretty that? Pretty much. Like, that's the way it goes. Like, they'll, you know, they'll do, they'll, like, you know, the old birds that Doug McDermott used to shoot, like, straightaway threes from the beak and that sort of thing. Like, oh, yeah. You know, they'll, they'll spend time before and after practice just, you know, he'll just beat Marcus in that and... You know, talk a bunch of crap and then go home. It's <laughs> so. I mean, the whole the whole DePaul scout. I mean, it was essentially they got two days off, which is you know good at this time of the year because you get to rest up a little bit. And yeah. they came back, and I think they got you know a couple days of just working on themselves a little bit, a lot of drill work. You know, just working on the fundamental parts of the game that maybe were starting to fall off a little bit. You know, on both ends of the floor, and then really they you know it was just two days of preparation for DePaul, and it's about you all know, you need. Yeah, it's really. I mean, that's. It's not much more preparation than they get for anybody else in the league. So I mean, it wasn't really all that different. But I mean, if you think like, like Creighton didn't spend seven days preparing for DePaul, they spent two. Right. So you know, and then there was a lot of maintenance on, you know, getting their bodies right, and then there was a couple days where they just focused on getting better individually and some of the things that they weren't doing very well. So it wasn't like. It wasn't like, yeah, they beat them by 35, but they had seven days to prepare. Well, I mean, they only prepared for two days. They just beat DePaul because DePaul is bad and Creighton's good. That's the bottom I mean, yeah, line. they're just not very good. No, I mean, that's just being honest about it. But, hey, they're getting a brand-new building, and the guys on uh, Dickie, Dickie Simpkins was Man. convinced that that was going to you know, bring them back to the promised land on Saturday's broadcast. So I got nothing so, but love for Dickie Simpkins, but, like, so hashtag, like hashtag irrational. Is the new building like? Is it in? Is it actually in Chicago or like? 
Because because like, Allstate is in Rosemont, and I'm telling you, Rosemont is not Chicago. So, no. like that place is a dump, and Allstate Arena looks like a giant Disney castle that was forgotten long ago. Right. So I mean, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, McCormick Place that, is down good. near the lake. Um, so. Yeah, it's going to be closer for their students to go, I guess. But, I mean, okay. it's it's on the near south side, and their campus is not there. So, once again, I mean, I don't know. Like, are there that many? Like, when I watch their games on television, there's nobody there. And their women play. I know it's an on-campus, like, smaller gym scenario, but, like, it's if you're trying to get right, like, why don't you just play there and, like, pack that That's place and I'm make saying. it a crazy atmosphere? That's what I say, and I think they played a couple games there. The men did. I think they. I mean, did they beat? I think they lost to Drake. Maybe they beat Drake, but they played Drake there. I think. <laughs> and uh, you know, how sad think? is it that we're like, <laughs> did DePaul beat Drake? <laughs> I know. But then again, it's like, did Creighton beat Loyola Chicago? No. Right. Yeah. Right. I, th- I mean, it was a one-point game. One either way. I don't remember who won. It was two bad teams, so I kind of was tuning it out. But. Um, yeah, they played at McGrath. I mean, and I was there last year for the Big East Women's Tournament. I mean, that's a good setup, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's right, you know, it's pretty much a walk down the street from their kind of their campus area. I mean, it's in a cool, like, little setup area. I mean, it's right off the street. You know, it's not hard to get to. I mean, you can bring people in pretty much if, you know, I imagine walk-up is pretty easy if you just, oh, my goodness. So Isaiah Roby's having a dunk contest against Penn State here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so we should expect like the Chattel column tomorrow morning oh. about Isaiah Roby. Oh wait, that was today. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, Nebraska ball's back, everybody. Um so yeah, like yeah, I don't know. I like their I like McGrath. I like McGrath Phillips Arena. I like the setup. I like and I mean I think the women have you know, the crowds there get pretty loud. Mm-hmm. I mean it was a tournament setting, but I mean DePaul St. John's last year I remember being a pretty crazy game. Um I don't know why they're not play there. I mean, Allstate Arena, if Rosemont is a dump. Apologize to our Rosemont listeners if there's any out there. But, I mean, like, there's potholes all over the place. You know, the hotel situation isn't that great. I mean, it just feels like – it doesn't feel like Chicago. And Allstate Arena is a weird setup. It's like a – you know, it looks like a giant hockey arena that was – you know, that just doesn't get filled up at all and – I don't even know how to explain it. I just don't think it's very – it's not a good place to play basketball, play any sport. So I don't think we – I don't know why they just don't swallow their pride and play at McGrath. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting if nothing else. I mean, uh, I'm looking at it right now. If I'm a student at DePaul, I jump on the red line, and 48 no, – 41 minutes later, I'm going to be down, and I have to walk a mile at the end of that uh, mm-hmm. to go to the games. So I'm not going, you know. Like yeah. I'll just hang out and maybe like check it on my phone, sure, something like that. But so this is turned into a DePaul. Yeah, line. wow. <laughs> we need to reel this back in. Um, so yeah, we'll only be able to play DePaul possibly one more time. But right. that segues into something I wanted to talk about, right? So the Xavier loss, uh, obviously tough one to swallow. But the Jays bounce back against the Blue Demons. Jays now three and one against uh, Butler and Xavier. The other two teams kind of neck and neck with the Blue Jays nipping at uh, Villanova's proverbial heels there in the standings. Mm-hmm. So and they, really, Creighton has a tiebreaker on both of those teams, correct? Yeah, so the tiebreaker, obviously the sweep against Butler, but then common opponent record is better for the Jays 
than for Butler and Xavier too. So as long as Butler, I mean, if Butler finishes in the top four, then Creighton has is pretty much the two seed. Everybody's tied below Villanova because yeah, but they swept Butler, and then Xavier also Xavier got swept by Villanova, and they also lost to Butler, who Creighton swept. So like, they'll have a tiebreaker over Xavier based on when it gets down to the Butler tiebreaker. Creighton has it head to head. When it gets on the Xavier tiebreaker, Creighton they split, but Creighton has the sweep over Butler, where Xavier has a loss of Butler. We went from DePaul to doing math, which are two of my least favorite things <laughs> possible. But this one was easy math. This is like uh, this is like uh, you know adding, uh, subtracting type of stuff. You can ask a lot of my friends. There's not a lot of easy math rolling around no. in my head. So <laughs> let's just uh, let's just say that the Jays are sitting in a decent spot with three weeks left to go yes yeah um for a two seed which the they pretty much control their own destiny for a two seed if you know as long as you don't as long as you hang in there and finish tied with butler and xavier you're the two essentially okay. so god that'd be great yeah i mean so you always villanova want to get... until the title game yeah that's what's up avoiding villanova until the title game is pretty much the goal right so. yeah but i mean villanova they're due like they'll get upset in the semifinals I just kind of feel that might happen. What would you rather have happen? I'm the Jays sure Villanova's beat... not due to lose that tournament anymore <laughs> because they've lost a Seton Hall in the first round. They lost a Seton Hall twice now in that thing. So, like Seton Hall is the only team that can beat them at MSG. So they're pretty much not due to have that happen again. Okay. So you don't need to argue with me, but I I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, but for real, like, if I'm saying you get to choose one, would you rather the Jays? beat Villanova in the regular season at Villanova here in next mm-hmm. weekend or avoid them altogether en route to a potential Big East tournament championship game. Not saying they'd win it, uh, but they get to the championship game and they didn't have to play DePaul and DePaul's not wait or I'm sorry, Villanova and DePaul and Villanova. No, <laughs> oh yeah, we'll take that. But Villanova's <laughs> not waiting for them in the tally game either. What do you want? So I so I'm my question is a, a win in Philly or waiting until to play Villanova in the title game, essentially? No, I'm saying, like, you can get all the way to the title game and Villanova's not waiting for you there either. Oh. That's tough. I think I'll take the win in Philly. Yeah, I, that's, I don't think I don't think I'll be that – I don't think anybody should be that heartbroken if Creighton doesn't win a Big East tournament title. No, they, it's like a total But if they beat Villanova – yeah, if they, you know, right. if they beat Villanova, that'd be a huge feather in the cap. It's funny, like, I always got upset if the Jays didn't win Arch Madness because I just feel, I just felt like oh, you're in, you're like out. Make or like, break. Yeah. I mean, it's make or break, plus realistically, talent-wise, up until that last year or two when Wichita was kind of neck and neck talent-wise, it, was just, it never seemed like uh, that they really had an excuse to lose that. But it's so hard mm-hmm. to win three games in three days anyway. Yeah, uh, but now the Big East tournament. I mean, just seeing these teams, man, these guys—it's just a total crapshoot. Except Plus, for other, DePaul. Other than being Kemba Walker, <laughs> I don't think winning the Big East title is actually a good thing, is it? I mean, historically. No, I mean it drained. I don't know. I don't. I'm pretty sure, like that's like a you know a class. It doesn't didn't Syracuse like win that thing like three times and then get bounced in early yeah. in the tournament or something like that? Georgetown too, like Georgetown. I mean, Georgetown always gets bounced early in the tournament, but I mean, <laughs> I feel like that was accompanied with a few Big East tournament title runs. You know what? Georgetown can just, they can lose the rest of their games because yeah, so I'm, still, to... I'm not over. I, I said I flushed it, but I'm not over 71-51. And well, I'm sure as heck not going to be over it this weekend when they come here. 
because that's going to be tough. <laughs> so here's something to make you feel good. I was uh, I was bored on Sunday, so I decided to um, kind of compile all of the head-to-head Big East um, games for just the five sports that they all – so they all play – the ten teams play in women's soccer, men's soccer – um, volleyball and men's and women's basketball. Those are like the, and then they also all play like women's cross country and like women's tennis or something like that, but they don't like go head to head in those other two. So I pretty much just compiled like the 10 or the five sports that all 10 teams play and compete in with each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And is this more math? Hold on. <laughs> yes. It's a okay. little bit, but, I, but, but you I did the math. I don't have to do I've it. I've already done the math. Yes. So I'm pretty much, this is like just a class for you, right? Sweet. Now, so. Got it. Just take notes. Got um, it. So, like, I I would just compiled everything to see who was, you know, who was top, who was the worst, and that sort of thing. So, I think I'll play a little game with you here because um, now this is as of February 11th, so there's been some updates to it, but I haven't updated it yet. So, like, who do you think is the worst team in the league from a head-to-head perspective in Big East play? Of all those sports combined? Yep. Providence. Okay, that would be no, that would be Seton Hall in the ten spot. Ah, so, yes. so the Seton Hall Pirates with their lovely like university ad that says they're really good at basketball. There's a reason they only say that sport and it's because <laughs> that's the only sport that's kinda respectable. They're pretty bad and everything else. With so. all the fights that they want to pick on the baseball diamond, that oh my kinda God. surprises me. Now I actually think their baseball team might be better than They're bad. Yeah. Yeah, so they might want to update that ad a little bit. No. You know, just have like Nobody's watching that ad, Matt. T- what's what's that guy's name? Um, you know, we call him Alex and I call him Moogs just out oh. loud. The giant bear, like Yeah. Shoot, yeah. I forgot yeah, I know who you're talking about. That guy needs to be in the commercials. That's like Seton Hall's messing up not having that guy in it, so um Yeah, so who do you think is ninth? Mm, Georgetown. There you go. Yeah. Georgetown. Yeah. So they were the so the Georgetown Hoyas who were like, you know, one of the stalwarts in the class of the league. They're just good enough to be better than Seton Hall in head to head play and Biggie's play. That's not so that, something that should you make wanna, feel yeah. better. That does. Creighton's yeah. number one, right? Creighton like, is number one far and away. by a lot. By about sixteen percentage points over Marquette and then Villanova and then DePaul who in spite of their men's basketball program is sitting in fourth place because every other team they have is really good. Women's basketball, outstanding. Yep, women's soccer, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, volleyball had a decent season this year, a better-than-you-would-think season. Um, and then Butler's five, St. John's is six, Xavier is seven, and Providence is eight. So Georgetown and Seton Hall are – I mean, when you look at it, of the – so, like, two of the three new teams to the Big East Conference are in the top five this year in head-to-head, mm-hmm. and then Xavier's seven. But three of, like, the old-timey, like, long-standing Big East members are sitting in last place, you know, below with below 500 records. Um, so, I mean, really, the new three are carrying the – kind of carrying the carrying the flag for the old seven there, so. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to- that – Gosh, what is it now? Five? Is, are we coming on th- four years? That it this was about this is about this time four years ago that all the rumors started to swirl and all of 
the ESPN.com article started to be published that, you know, people had been talking about on the message board since December of that year, but, mm-hmm. you know, realistically, this thing had a chance to actually come to fruition and the Jays were, you know, on, you know, on a Monday, the Jays were one of the last teams to maybe make the cut. Then the next day they're like, Oh, it's the, it's the number one team that wants, you know, like the big East wants to bring in the mix. And then the next, like it was just a roller coaster. I just remember yeah. um, how, but I mean, did Wichita state even have a shot? Like, no. I mean, it doesn't make much sense. I felt like that was Creighton's spot. Only if, like, I felt like the only Valley team that was in contention for that was Creighton. It, and it I wasn't mean, really the way that the way that I understand it to be based on speaking to people close to the program, the university. Like, look at that. That was like my like sort of like haha talking to people close to university. <laughs> but I mean, it was Creighton's invitation, not let's pick the best school from the valley invitation, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, they yeah. they were thoughtful. I mean, there's been a lot of things that this change in this new league has not been thoughtful about mm-hmm. uh but the tv stuff they were i mean you can argue the ratings and all that but i mean the fact is they have pretty much their own network that they help run which is in today's day and age like a fantastic coup for a basketball only collegiate athletic league mm-hmm. um but really i thought that they did a great job of sticking to a brand and not really reaching outside of what their what they wanted to put on as their brand. So, mm-hmm. you know, they could have made exceptions for UConn. They could have done a lot of things, but in essence, the real only outlier from a brand perspective is Butler from the religious angle. But it's hard. You're hard pressed to find a better basketball school in terms of they've dealt with this change before moving yeah. leagues and stuff. I mean, they were, that was old hat for them. They're switched. What they played in three different conferences in three years or three, right. four years or something. Yeah. They went from the horizon to the a 10 to the big East. So, right? yeah. I mean, I think Xavier didn't Xavier do something similar. They went, where'd they go before? Or did they just stay in the a 10 to go from the big East? Am I missing that? Yeah. Up? They were in the a 10 for a while, but then before that, I forget what conference they were in. Something that yeah. probably doesn't exist anymore. Or it's oh, yeah, right. something different. I don't know. <laughs> South Florida is probably involved. I don't know. Uh, it's just I always think about that development about this time every year because, you know, the Jays were neck and neck with Wichita that year, and it was so intense. You know, you couldn't have a hiccup. The Jays were about to drop a really tough game at Evansville, and they were kind of riding a losing streak, and all of a sudden, like, Rocky and Doug shot them out of that at the end of the game. And um, I don't know. It just seemed like everybody was, like, <laughs> overly stressed. There was a lot of pressure. People didn't know if Doug was going to leave or not. And you started hearing all these rumors swirling. And I don't know, that always brings me back to a really interesting kind of fun place this time of year every year because, I mean, we, I don't know, it's just well, a total game changer for the university. Yeah, well, I mean, the underrated part of that whole saga that you just described right there was uh, those same Evansville Purple Aces and Colt Ryan beating Wichita State on their senior day. Yeah. Right? Right. To, set up, to set up a winner-take-all showdown in Omaha for the God. title. Colt Ryan could ball, man. That guy. Right? Yeah, man. Well, yeah, that was like, you know, and the Wichita State team that went to the Final Four lost on their senior day and then lost to Creighton twice. So, I mean. I'll take it. Sounds yeah, good to Wichita, me. Yeah, Wichita State's best days still had some laughers involved. So, 
I know. And that's, yeah. Gosh. That's, that's a good feeling, right? But, I mean, Creighton's hit the ground running in the Big East when you just kind of, like, think about the whole, I mean, you got a national player of the year and you finished second in the league that year and made it to the Big East final. Um, volleyball has pretty much beaten every single Big East team every single year. Um, you know, now they're an Elite Eight program and probably going to be a top ten program to start the year next year. Uh, men's soccer, what, an Elite Eight, a Sweet 16, um, and a second round? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, women's soccer is getting their stuff together. Uh, baseball's, yeah, we just won't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. How about that? How about a little that? Tease, a little there tease for everybody. We'll talk about baseball later. Uh, you know, women's basketball. I mean, they had you know a twelve-win season their first year in conference play, and you know, right now they're one win away from clinching the two seed um, already with four games to play. So I mean, they've had a really good year this year, and they're practically a lock for an at-large. I mean, yeah, they have to be at this point, right? That's not going to yeah, be I mean, a they're, they're a couple wins league. away from, like, being a solid lock, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just if you just kind of go sport by sport, I mean, Creighton's really – Creighton hasn't really taken a lot of time to, I guess um, – you know, there hasn't been a learning curve, if you will, or whatever. I don't know how to phrase it properly, but, I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's not like they – outside of – one year in basketball, which was the post-Doug year, which, I mean, what are you expecting? That's the only year where it was really an underachievement from really any other sports, if you think about it. So, Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I would have expected maybe a two-year swoon. And let's mm-hmm. be honest, like last year wasn't great for hoops. I mean, no. anybody talking about creating basketball because of our convoluted sense of fandom or whatever – like if you don't make the NCAA tournament, the season's kind of a failure. Like I'll just I'll say that. Okay. Um, you know, but they get to the NIT, they win, they win a couple games there, and it for the for as hasty a move as it was for a small university like Creighton to just up and leave a conference in a couple of months' time. Mm-hmm. That 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 there only was one really, really down-in-the-dump season in the premier sport. I'm, I only say premier from a public standpoint, right? Yeah. Because we yep. all know soccer is and volleyball now carrying the torch for our best chance for national championship in a sport. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the fact that there was only really one noticeable down year is, I think, pretty remarkable. And I don't think that's spin. I think that's just – Mac and his coaching staff doing a good job of bringing guys like Cole Huff and Maurice Watson into the mix yep. to fill in clear deficits of Big East ready talent as the other guys who are extremely coachable, talented in their own rights, and able to do certain things well were able to do those things. And there was just that one season where, you know, guys were working hard and the God, how many games did they lose by one or two possessions? Yeah, that that's what I mean. I mean it was like, just, think about it that. could have been so much yeah. different. Mm-hmm. Providence was a buzzer beater, one of the ugliest one in NCAA history. Um, you know, Georgetown was a game they had in the bag. That was in like a notorious collapse. No, but I'm even talking about two years ago, Matt. Last year, yeah, those oh, games, you rattled those off on the message board and I about punched my computer thinking about Chris Dunn's <laughs> complete duck that dropped in but two years ago i know they got boat raced in a couple games but they lost a lot of close games too or games where it was 
you know, the four-minute mark, the last media timeout, it's a one-possession game, and they just couldn't finish it out, right? Villanova and Xavier, like, two yeah. – those games were down to the wire. Yep. You know? Seton Hall at Seton Hall. I was yep. watching Creighton play both baseball against Tulane. Both Seton Hall games that year. Both yeah. Seton Hall games were buzzer beaters pretty much. Yep. And, Mar- uh, and they lost a buzzer beater at Marquette. I mean – Yeah. It was crazy how many close games they lost. I mean, and it, even in, you know, they were in the play-in game in New York City. God forbid we ever do that again. But, man, they were in the play-in game. They got to play DePaul, which was awesome, right? They won that game. And then yeah. they were leading Georgetown yeah. at the four-minute mark. And that big dude just kind of went to town in the last four minutes, and DSR went crazy. And Yeah, DSR starts hitting some stupid shots. Yeah, yeah. Like, and you yeah, just can't deal. But, man, I know. Like, so – I mean, as hastily as everything came together and as, you know, those rumors really took a hold and then it went from rumor to a move to, you know, three days before they're getting, re- getting ready to play the NCAA tournament, we're, you know, sitting in a press conference on at Sokol Arena being introduced to a bunch of presidents from schools that we've sometimes played but not usually have and that these are our new conference brethren. I mean, I think that it's pretty remarkable that, you know, they're twenty-one and four right now, and they've only had really one down year since that happened. So, so I can't remember the exact date when everybody found out. Do you remember when it was? I, I, I know there were, like it was there was a report out before it was actually confirmed, before it was actually announced. Right? Am I getting this timeline correct? Because yeah. So, if I remember correctly, and Tom Nemitz, you know, he followed, he covered that uh, in the weeks leading up to it. We had kind of these intermittent updates on whiteandbluereview.com about mm-hmm. kind of where the latest rumors were and link into a bunch of those pieces. And obviously the message board, everybody said that they had a friend. It was like Ferris Bueller, you know, 31 flavors or whatever. But they, um, I just remember being in St. Louis down at the Valley Basketball Tournament and saying that, you know, hearing that um, Father Landon had to leave one of the meetings of, presidents and the school administrators down there because they were getting ready to vote on or talk about who was going to ultimately replace the conference. (laughs) I mean, it's like, where do you go? Like, am I at the Savas Center or the Scott Trade Center? Like, do I go into the lobby? Is there like um, Bernie Federko's statue that I go hang out by? Do I go down to like, you know, Mike Shannon's and grab a drink? Like, what am I supposed to do? Or am I in the Sheridan with all the media guys up up top and and yeah i don't know i just i think when we were down in st louis that year it was kind of a uh, foregone conclusion amongst everybody ran into that it was some combination of people wanted to make that move so badly that they were believing it and Mm -hmm. or they knew people who knew people that knew that this was going to happen and so they weren't exactly i don't feel like anybody was exactly like tempering expectations or tempering these rumors I felt like it was just kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Enjoy your last trip to St. Louis. Exactly. All the bars dry and, you know, try not to light a match on your way out or whatever. Because I remember I was getting ready to interview. uh, I think I was doing a group interview with the Creighton women's basketball, some great women's basketball players right before they went down to St. Charles to play in the NBC tournament. Chuck Madness. Yeah, Chuck Madness. And I think they were already – I think there were already enough reports for it to be – one of those like wink wink situations, like you said. So I asked them what they thought of moving to the big East. Um, and I actually got the question shut down. Like they weren't allowed to talk about it type of deal. Nice. 
So it was it was kind of like one of those fun situations where you knew, but um, no one could really talk about it. I remember I was I can't remember I think Allie Jensen, Sarah Nelson, like Carly Tritz, and it was like all three of them. And I was just like, so you know, what do you guys think of this? Um, you know, move to the Big East next year, and um, you know, just what are your thoughts on like changing conferences and that whole deal? And they were like, ah, I don't think we can actually talk about that yet so that's awesome it, it ended up just being one of those off the record type of deals it was pretty funny i mean i remember the first night you know I, I would love and this has given me a really good idea i think you know a year or two from now white and blue review maybe we'll put together kind of like an oral history of how this all went you know once mm-hmm. people have stepped away far enough from it that you know kind of some of the veils get dropped but i remember sitting at um Gosh, I don't even know what it's called. Marcus Cinema, the one that's at uh, Midtown Crossing downtown. So the Jays played Cal out in Berkeley on a Saturday night in December. I think it was their last or sec- it was their last non-conference game before the Christmas break, like the finals break and all that stuff. Okay. Um, and so we're a couple of us. It was a late night game, you know, nine or ten o'clock tip in Omaha. Um, and a number of us we just hanging out in the movie theater. They had it projected up on the big screen and good crowd, you know, people having a couple beers. And uh, it was weird because, like, you don't know really the people sitting next to you other than the couple friends you came with. But people started, like, talking, like, oh, have you heard this, blah, 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 and, like, checking out the message board, uh, com on our phone. And you start to be, like, people are putting stuff out there, like, this is, like, legitimately maybe a thing. And you just think to yourself, you're like, well, okay, it's December. Like, there's no way that this could really happen as quickly as people were making it out to be. Because, like, some of those first reports were saying that it would be effective immediately. And you're just like, how are they going to pull that off? I mean, and so I think there was some temperament there. But talk about, I remember getting a text message from a buddy. I was leaving some event, like, a couple weeks before the season ended. It might have been that. Actually, it might have been like the Monday, bef- the Monday of what ultimately was their last week of regular season men's basketball games in the in the valley. I'm leaving something, and my like I had my phone turned off or whatever. I turned it back on, and all of a sudden there's like 20 text messages, three <laughs> emails about it. And I'm like, what is happening? And yeah, I mean, enough kind of um, stalwart sites, you know, sites that people would actually consider to be in the know about this stuff. They the way they were writing about it just seemed, you know, convincing enough where I think people felt like putting their guard down and just buying into it. But there was enough there was enough moving parts going on that you were like, Okay, this is pretty much you know, don't screw this up at this point type of deal. Which yeah. was great because I mean, frankly, I think that that's what you know, for right or wrong, I feel like Jay's fans thought that that was what kept Doug around for his senior year. Oh, I I mean so. I think that's about if if it's not the entire reason, it's like ninety five percent of it, right? I mean, what else did he have to prove at that point? It's not like his draft stock improved a whole lot. No, uh, I think it was pretty much the same. You know, we're just talking about a few spots here and there at this point. You know, but I felt like he was a mid first rounder anyway. But you take um, the, if you take the two weeks, so let's just call it the Wednesday before they played Wichita for the winner takes all. Uh, Valley regular season championship and then through the next Wednesday 
to well let's say three weeks right because i think they have they officially had that news conference like the tuesday or wednesday before the ncaa tournament started um it's just wild to think they went from being in the valley and not having the you know valley regular season championship under mac and people worried that doug was going to leave to they beat wichita for the regular season title they beat him again uh, you know they win a valley tournament title again Doug's going to stick around because, by the way, they're going to move to the Big East freaking conference. Like, what is happening? Like, talk about uh, a whirlwind. Uh, Grant Gibbs is sixth year. Remember that one? Yeah. Was, right. Was I mean, double icing on the cake. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Where we what, a time to be, what a time to be alive, right? What a time to be alive. <laughs> so, yeah, and now we're here and – you know, we lost our point guard to a vicious knee injury, and we're now, still why in second place. Go straight back no, dude, the, I was really? just saying, Come, because I mean, we're still in second place. The, we're in second place. We've got a good... We, got we already a good, had that show. we got we a good lock on this tiebreaker. So, you know, I'm, I'm mentally already pulling up to my seat for the evening quarterfinal games at MSG on that Thursday night. Um, you know, after a day of solid podcasting and with you and traversing the city with my lovely wife, you know, we'll, uh, we'll just settle in for that evening setup and avoid Villanova at all costs until the championship <laughs> game. There you go. There's now he's back. I'm back. Speaking um, of back, great baseball, baby. Oh, you want to go into, you want to talk about Seton Hall and all or? Sure. I mean, I think we're going to lose, but what do you think? You, wow. You go ahead. So, uh, that's so unlike you to predict that. Uh, <laughs> right. Talk to me <laughs> so, about Seton Hall. What do you know? Well, I mean, let's let's you know you started it there. Why do you why are you predicting the loss right here? What do you, what are your what are your feelings? What's your gut telling you? I don't think Seton Hall is as bad as maybe they showed in their last game. Um, I, I know that St. John's has some pieces, right? Uh, but yep. Chris Mullen's still their coach, and I don't know that I would trust them in the long run. So I thought that was a big loss for Seton Hall, frankly. And, um, you know, I think they're still talented enough to give us fits. Uh, but I, I think that you disagree. So I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. So I think, uh, Seton Hall is worse than their performances. Um, like I feel like, let me see if I can go through their little, their little run of late here. Um, I mean, they have a two-point overtime win over Providence, a two-point overtime win over Georgetown, um, a 13-point win at home over St. John's. is like they're pretty much their only comfortable win. And then they've got the loss to Xavier, the loss to St. John's, a loss to Butler, a boat racing by Villanova, which, you know, that's nothing to be ashamed of, I guess. That uh, happens. Yeah, that happens. Another, a loss to Providence, a loss to Marquette in overtime. They both raced to Paul, which is, you know, like I said, the get right team. That happens. Um, and they beat Marquette in like a all time like comedy of errors finish by the Golden Eagles there. So I mean, they're not far off from being like battling the Blue Demons for the cellar. I mean, other than the head to head whipping they put on them. Um, and I, you know, I watched but I watched the Butler and Xavier games, and I think. If I just put the first like twenty minutes together, if I just put the first ten of Butler and the first ten of Xavier together, I think Seton Hall scored fourteen points total. Hmm. So 
I mean, Delgado is pretty much a rebounding machine out of necessity because they miss a lot of shots. So, I mean, his, his it's not like just that his rebounding percentage is good. It's that his chances of getting a rebound are high. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like, higher than normal. So, it's not, you know, astounding that he sucks down as many as he does. Um, I mean, he has 108 offensive rebounds this year. That's just ridiculous. That's that's so many missed shots. Yeah. Because it's not like he's getting all of those. No. You know, so just imagine how many shots they miss that he doesn't get. I mean, they're shooting... Hopefully a ton tomorrow night. Oh, I mean, they, they miss a ton already. They're shooting 41% in league play as, as a whole. 33% from three-point range. And then at the line, they're 62% in, in league play. That's like... They've got to be the worst free throw shooting team in the country or one of them. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I can't imagine... Nobody wants to see those numbers, man. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to go through that many pages of stats. Uh, I can't imagine there's that many teams in the country that are worse than 62%, right? No. So, yeah, I don't... I feel like if Creighton can get to... If Creighton can get to 75 tomorrow That's exactly night, the number I was throwing out. Yeah, look, I think they're looking solid if they can get to 75. So, I mean, remember in Omaha, like Desi Rodriguez went insane. So, And he hasn't done any of that since, right? Uh, DePaul, he did it too as well. So, oh, come on. But, I mean, again, Outliers. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, yeah, just, you know, if you just play the law of averages, I just don't like Seton Hall at all. <laughs> That's so, awesome. They're just not a very good – not a very good team over the long run. And I don't think, you know, and here I have set up an all time, you know, I have set up one of our, our uh, therapeutic podcasts if they do lose. So you'll right. want to, you'll want, you'll want to call me right away and wonder what I was talking about type of deal. So I'm looking at the CBS sports app. Uh, that's kind of my go-to app for keeping track of college hoop scores during the course of the season. And uh, tomorrow night, Jay's, favored by one and a half on the road so really one and a half huh yeah butler's a ten and a half point favorite at hinkle against st john's and i can't find any line on xavier and providence just on that app so i'm sure all of our gambling friends can uh, let us know kind of in in the message order on the site i I think i would pick creighton and st john's to cover on that one i wouldn't ten and a half is a lot ten and a half is a lot to give a Butler team that doesn't really match up very well with teams that are really good in the guard core. Like I, I think St. John's could beat them in, in Hinkle. Gosh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. That. And if they did, they'd be seven and seven at Big East play. That's insane. That's right? Insane. That's crazy. I mean, we talked Mullen's about because Mullen's awful. Like that's not even a that's not even like an opinion anymore. I no, mean, I mean it's almost like Shamari Pons and Marcus Lavette like being player coaches on the floor. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god. And leading that team. They play like their pants are on fire. That's pretty much like the, the key right there. Yeah. Those guys are yeah. fun to watch. I mean, like any team they play that has any type of organizational ability beats the beats their daylights in. But, um, you mean like the repeated backdoor lobs that we ran against them? <laughs> right. Like any, yeah. If you like, run sets, like you're going to beat St. John's to death. Like, right. But if you want to play like up and down, you know hero ball that's like st john's bread and butter right there so they'll welcome that all day you know yeah which is why they beat butler the first time because keelan martin is essentially a hero baller like that's all he is you know and Kyrie thomas has wrecked his mindset oh just destroyed that man's entire like as much as marcus foster destroyed that young man's game with his dunk at DePaul, that's Mm -hmm. what Kyrie seems to have kind of kicked off here with keelan martin right 
Yeah, I mean, he pretty much sent Keelan Martin. I mean, if you look at the games where like they relied heavily on Keelan Martin, and then like Kyrie Thomas pretty much introduced the idea to Chris Holtman that maybe Keelan should be benched. <laughs> right. You know, because he started the second half benched after going 0-4 against Kyrie in the first half in Omaha. Um, I don't think, and I'm pretty sure he didn't start the second game against Creighton, did he? Am I missing no, that? I don't think so. But yeah, and he might have started. Was, and, I don't know. He didn't. Yeah, but play Kyrie well. still shut him down anyway. So I mean, I think he hit his like first three shots, and then Kyrie locked him up again. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think Chris Holtman benched him against Marquette, and they ended up playing really well without him. So I mean, I think Kyrie Thomas kind of opened the door for Holtman to be like, maybe we're better with Martin not chucking up shots in our first unit, yeah. and ruining the flow, um, playing through Shrabbits, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, where are we at on that one? Kyrie Fence. I think he's a plus. I mean, is it even close at this point? I mean, there are really good defenders in the league, but, I mean, has anybody drawn the type of assignments that Kyrie continues to draw and then actually performing lockdown defense against those assignments? You no. Know I, mean? I mean, I look – I go kind of – it's like all these awards, right? You go top down from the standings. The you know the most outstanding player, most valuable player is going to come from the best team and yada, yeah. yada, yada, right? So – I look at Villanova, like their team defense is just outstanding. But there's yes. nobody that really steps out to you and says that's their lockdown guy or that's a big time, you know, in the paint force for mm-hmm. Villanova defensively. You come to Creighton, obviously Kyrie stands out like a sore thumb. And then, yeah, I mean, Butler, Xavier, Marquette, none of those guys have, have – none of those teams have guys that kind of s- jump out at you on screen as you're watching saying, wow, that guy's doing a tremendous job defensively, especially one-on-one with the type of matchups that he's being asked to – Yeah. To like everybody, I, everybody everybody, likes Sonogo from Seton Hall, which I don't – actually, I'm not sure if he's going to play tomorrow. He's injured right now. So. Yeah, it sounds like he's been struggling quite a bit to get on the floor. Yeah, so I mean, everybody likes him as a defender, but I mean, I don't really know who he's checking because he's, a, you know, he's essentially a four. So I mean, and Cole like ate Cole? his lunch. Right. Yeah, I mean, like Cole ate his lunch in New York, so I kind of am always down on that guy, or always skeptical of like what exactly his defensive impact is because you know Cole dropped thirty five and nine on him in front of everybody. Um, so I mean, he's one of the guys that gets talked about a lot, and that I don't buy, but I mean, Mikhail Bridges from Villanova, he's pretty disruptive because they pretty much just stick him at the top of their defense and, you know, make him disrupt point guards, which is pretty impressive for a guy his size. So, you know, he's a guy I could see getting some votes for defensive player of the year, mm-hmm. especially if Villanova continues to run rough shot through the league. Um, Kamar Baldwin, I guess from Butler makes pretty, you know, he makes some impact plays defensively, but I, I still don't think he's, I don't think he's shutting down the guys that Kyrie is shutting down. So, I mean, I think Kyrie is the front runner right now, and I'd be surprised if anybody else gives it. I think if I were to rank him, I would go Kyrie, Mikhail Bridges, uh, Kamar Baldwin, and then is, the, maybe, is uh, your boy Delgado going to get some like love? He, who's that? Is your boy Delgado going to get some love? Everybody seems to think he's a great defender. Well, see now if you if you follow the NBA a lot, like. You know, usually the guy who's, like, leading the league in rebounds usually is the guy who ends up, I don't know, for some reason winning the Defensive Player of the Year award. So, I mean, you know, I guess there's something to ending a possession or whatever the sort of thing is. But, I mean, so Delgado from, like, a rebounding perspective. But, I mean, if you look at the guys, like, he, you know, he's got, I think he's got, yeah, he's got five block shots in 24 games. And, 
He's got two more block shots than Cole Huff this year. So I mean, does that does that sound like a guy who's like making an impact? I mean, no. Yeah, he just grabs a rebound and doesn't. He doesn't like he just boxes out. That's all he does. So I mean, yeah, it's a that's a great skill. Hey. It's a, it's, a, it's how it helps them helps them win games. But I mean, we would we would take a guy like that. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, he's not my defense. He's he's still going to be the second best defender on Creighton's team, even if he comes over. So, see, and that's what I like trade. to do, right? That's that comparison. If you take any guy from any Big East team and bring him over, are they going to be a better defender than Kyrie? And the answer is no. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I so we win. There we go. Go Jays. Is that a Go Jays moment? Hashtag so. Go Jays. Is that hashtag. a hashtag Go Jays? That's a Dicky Simpkins hashtag Go Jays. Hashtag hashtag. I want to be the, uh, cognizant. Hashtag special delivery, right? Yeah. that To the point where they even put it up on the television screen, too. Like, they had that waiting. Like in oh, a, really? In a, in a graphic. Yeah. Yeah, you know he said that in, like, a pregame meeting. He's like, let me drop the hashtag. And, you know, like, Dickie, what works for you on Bulls games? Like, <laughs> uh, nothing. The Bulls are terrible. but <laughs> Yeah. Sorry to say it, Matt. But... Hey, they beat the Raptors for the 11th straight time tonight. So. Dougie Fresh pouring in 20. Yeah, like he does against Toronto, like it's his job. And Seriously, Toronto, Toronto should trade for him. He like kills them every time. He's like the Toronto Raptor killer. He's like he hates dinosaurs apparently. I like it. They yeah. just traded for Serge Ibaka today too, didn't they? They Toronto did. did. Yeah, he was. He didn't play tonight, but I mean that sounds like a, you know, it might be a big move for them. Cool. I'm not going to talk about Toronto or DePaul anymore. I do want to spend some time <laughs> talking about Creighton baseball though. Uh, okay. My completely irrational fandomonium team of my life has been creating baseball. You and I have talked about this. I don't really need to get into this much yet because it'll certainly start to uh, fester and, and and seep out during the course of the season. But right, um, I have a special irrational part of my heart dedicated to creating baseball. Have since 1989, and. Uh, Tell me that your conversation with Ed Service today was was informative and fruitful, and tell me what you learned speaking to the skipper today before they uh, go down to Birmingham. It was informative, fruitful. Do you mean am I gonna like give you necessarily some great news like from an outlet perspective or like no, just you want to tell you that they're gonna win the Big East or no? How about this? When I went to the steak fry a couple weeks ago, I <laughs> recognized. Almost no one. So if you can bridge the gap between that and maybe feeling right. good about who might be taking the field Friday, well, me, I would me, consider that a win. Let me help you out a little bit then right away off the bat. The two yeah. people that were the two players that were sitting at our table that your son was that your son James was grilling. Yeah. If you remember. Yeah, they will be starters. So okay. remember those names. Do you remember the names? Uh Mr. Only and Mr. Reznicek. There you go. So that's your starting third baseman and Bryce Only and you're starting second baseman in Ben Reznicek, who um, is a transfer from the former North Dakota, what was their nickname, Fighting Sioux or something Fighting like that? Fighting Sioux, yeah. Yeah, so they no longer have a baseball team. Rest in peace, North Dakota baseball. Um, and he was looking for a place to play, so Creighton is rolled where out, he will Rolled out the TD Ameritrade yeah. carpet. <laughs> that is where he will finish his college career as a senior second baseman. Um and there's a chance uh, there's a chance he maybe pl- platoons a little bit with a true freshman named Isaac Collins who um, maybe kind of has that 
that Nicky Lopez type of deal with him. He's a really good middle infielder, um, but he's only a freshman right now, so you know they'll probably groom him a little bit. Um, but yeah, he'll platoon a little bit with Ben Resnick at second base. So the two guys that we were that were at our table that your son was having a, a good old time with, they will be starters. So that should help you at least have two familiar faces right off the bat, right? Oh, I mean, that's going to make taking James to games even more exciting. He loves to go anyway, but the fact that like he will legitimately remember those dudes and remember yeah. the answers to the questions that he asked them. So <laughs> that's, awesome. that's a game changer that they'll be out on the field. So yeah, Plus, you, you know, in some of those like <laughs> – some of the lighter attended games where James is sitting right down by home plate, I'm sure he'll try to – uh, spark up a conversation that most people at TD Ameritrade Park will be able to hear because mm-hmm. of the cavernous oh. confines. So, yeah, especially those like April games where oh, just brutal. Those those April Sunday afternoon, eleven a.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Love those games. Those. Yeah, is he gonna be one of those kids who like does the seventh inning like you know now up to bat is that type of deal? Are you gonna have him do that? I would like to. I feel like the way it might go with him though is he'll start. Um, sharing his opinions about the play on the field while he grabs the mic or something. So <laughs> that's, it's not, you know, I've heard worse. Right. Uh, I feel like that would, that, that could be endearing depending on how it's going at the time. I mean, I'm just excited because he starts baseball this year. So he'll be playing oh T-ball this spring. Nice. And uh, I'll be the coach. So you will be the coach, huh? I'm going to take the plunge, do the old T-ball how, how coaching. Long, how, how long is that going to last? Uh, you mean you're like the season? I mean, no, you as a coach, you're pretty hard on performances. So, I mean, are you hard on yourself <laughs> and anything? Like, if the yeah, I mean, I think that that's I didn't coach his soccer the last couple sessions just because I don't. Well, first, I just don't know as much about soccer as I feel like I probably have a grasp on baseball wise. Okay. Um, and I just kind of wanted to let him feel it out with like a different coach, kind of see how things are. But yeah, baseball is kind of a kind of my bag so um all right i think it'll be good i uh it's funny because i don't know how many of you guys listening or gals listening at home are coaches or have kids playing little league but i've been really impressed so my day job i work on you know uh creating websites and, and writing content for the web and um been really impressed with littleleague.org's website so they have a ton of like tutorial videos for coaches depending on what level of coaching experience you have. They have all these really fun um, kind of uh, interactive videos, short but um, informative for the kids to play. Like, how do I lay down a bunt? Or, like, if you're a coach, you know, what type of base running techniques should I be teaching the under six t-ball kids? Like, just stuff like that that you probably think you know, but then – like I'm kind of already starting to dread what I'm going to do for their first practice. And there's my son and what, 15 other kids, 16 other kids staring back at me like, okay, coach, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I don't know. Just throw the ball at each other. Like half these kids won't even know how to catch anything. You know what I mean? So it's exciting. It'll be fun. Um, I'll probably just ask Ed if he can come. Because he yeah, knows more about teaching baseball than I'm just gonna go watch all the like. I feel like I'm gonna be able to channel a lot of what I've seen coach service do from a micromanagement standpoint, and just take that to the t-ballers, and we'll be the most fundamentally sound t-ball team. Might not score a lot of runs, but we'll put some middle infielders into the pros, get a couple arms <laughs> drafted. Um, I feel like we'll be pretty see, fundamentally see. sound. See now, I, I already think it's you're you're going a little a little. 
I feel like you're. I feel like you're. You're. You're going to be upset already. I can I'm gonna see. be fine. I. 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 I, mean, I have faith in you, but I'm just saying. <laughs> but I'm also. I'm also like cautiously optimistic. How about that? Yeah, I. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a coaching change if Patrice finishes the season. How about that? Is I would that, love that. That's my um, prediction. Patrice's but, parents. They. They co. They co. Coached. I think both her and her sister's softball teams. Um, for quite some time. So I think that's a really good way to go. I just. You know how it is. Like, I feel like if that was the case, Connor would end up in a ravine, like <laughs> not, not, not taking care of himself, but he'll have like convinced three other two-year-olds to come down there with him sure. and like build a fort out of driftwood <laughs> or something. I mean, the kid is just out of control. Awesome. Hur- so hur- Hurricane Connor. Hurricane oh. Connor would definitely be on the loose at Memorial. That's awesome. League, so. Uh, I volunteer to babysit that from afar and watch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so what else can you tell me besides Bryce only and Ben Resnicek? What are we looking at around the horn, or did he kind of delve into that much? I know there's yeah. some there's some experienced pitching coming back, but, I mean, I think just the big question mark is who's going to run out onto that field in the bottom of the first inning, uh, you know, against UAB on Friday? Well, I'm not really sure how the lineup shakes out, but – yeah, like you said, the weekend rotation is pretty set in stone. One minor change is that um, Keith Regala will be the Saturday starter and Albright will move to Sunday. Um, but Raleigh will still be the Friday guy. Nice. So those, those three will still be your weekend rotation guys. Um, the midweek guys, um, Austin Strohshine is potentially a guy that could still do get some spot starts in the midweek like he did last year. Um, if you remember, he I think he started the game they beat Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken. He did, yeah. So he had a, you know, he had some good outings. Uh, Chris Barisa is a six foot five left-hander um, that they're really excited about. I think he was a 40th round draft pick coming into the year. Hmm. Um, they're really excited about him, and you know, just like he has a lot of, he has, I think they're like because he has three pitches already as a freshman that he can pretty much throw with confidence, I guess, which is pretty rare. So they, you know, not only is he kind of a candidate to start midweek games, but they're, you know, he might even push some of the weekend guys if some of them start to slump a little bit. So I, he's probably a name to watch, just not only from a physical standpoint and that he's a six foot five lefty, but the fact that he's got a lot of talent and that he's, you know, from what I hear, is a you know a pretty fiery competitor as a freshman. I mean, he kind of wants to. He doesn't really want to wait his turn, if you know what I mean. So sure. You know, and, and for a baseball pitcher, that's something that's good. I mean, you think about a guy who, you know, in most sports when a freshman comes in and thinks they should be able to earn a spot, that's not something that necessarily fits well with team chemistry. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, from a baseball perspective, you know, considering you have to do everything individually, you know, when it comes to pitching, hitting, feeling, that sort of thing, like when you're up, when it's time to make a play, it's up to you, you know. So, right. you know, I think for baseball that uh, attitude kind of works. And he seems to have it, so – you know, we'll find out here. And then uh, Mike Amodi is the one returner that everybody knows, and he seems to be a popular choice for a breakout candidate. Um, I guess they've had – I think they've scrimmaged three times already, which is pretty rare for them. I mean, the weather, weather's been pretty good as far yeah. as their spring practices have gone, so they were able to scrimmage three times. And uh, I guess Amodi's been using all the, the, you know, the right field a little bit more and, you know, hitting with power to – both sides of the or to using the all fields uh, with power which is you know that's you know essentially gonna make him 
a middle of the lineup type of guy that you know most think he was probably projecting to be. Um, you know, he's a big physical guy. He, everybody remembers the home run at BYU that still hasn't landed yet, and yeah. uh, and uh, so that's they they're kind of going to rely on him to drive in the runs at least uh, at the start of the year and see what he can produce there. Um, and he'll start behind the plate most days. Um, Blake White Cotton is a guy I think will back him up. Okay. At catcher, he's a you know there's going to be a lot of new names to learn and faces to learn and things like that. Um, new first baseman Reagan Fowler's not there anymore. Jason Alberry is an Omaha kid. I think he's from Creighton Prep. Um, he's he's going to play. He's going to start at first base this year. But I think I think his future is actually in the outfield. He might be a candidate to play center field next year is what I'm kind of gathering from just, you know, casual conversations. But, um, for now he'll play first base. He's a, I think he's six foot three, a pretty good athlete, has a pretty good bat. So, um, that's where he'll be to start the year. And then Nikki Lopez is replacing. We already talked about Reznicek and Collins at second. A shortstop is going to be Thomas Lovano. Um, they're really excited about this kid. This kid could actually, actually end up being one of those, infielder slash closer types like Jake Peter was. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, he's got a real power powerful arm. Um, you know, he can dial it up, you know, generate some strikeouts late in the game. But, you know, the one thing that's maybe holding that idea back a little bit is that Jake's you know, Jake when they did it with Peter, he you know, his arm kinda faded a little bit at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And they don't they don't really want to get a guy hurt, especially one that they're gonna rely on to play in the field because they don't really have a lot of depth at shortstop right now. The only thing that might be able to allow the coaching staff to move Lovano into potentially being that closer is, you know, whether Gerber maybe gets hurt or maybe struggles or if Collins develops into a guy they can trust in the, you know, in at, at that shortstop position to where they can, you know, bring Lovano in to get a couple strikeouts and, you know, bring Collins in to play defense behind him and not have to worry about it. So it's not something I would expect to see right away. It's, you know, if at all this season, but he is, you know, I wouldn't be totally surprised if it does happen at some point because I hear he's got a pretty live arm on the mound and, you know, that could be useful if they need it. Yeah, it's Um, an interesting predicament, right? If you bring a guy in that's playing shortstop for you, you know, they say you want your best pitcher out there on the mound in ninth inning, eighth inning, whatever it is, right? Yeah. getting those last three, six outs, so important. But a lot of that in the collegiate game, too, is having your best defense out there. Obviously, we know right. Ed prizes his uh, defenders, especially those middle infield guys and the continuity there. So, yeah, that's an interesting uh, challenge or predicament for him to address would be mm-hmm. if you got a guy out there that can really bring it, but he's also your best shortstop. What's What can't be – what what of those two scenarios can't be accomplished by someone else uh, on your roster? But. Yeah, so like the argument there is though if he's a, if he's a live arm and you're expecting strikeouts, that kind of eliminates sure the fielding aspect of it. So I mean, if you're bringing him in, you're banking on him getting some strikeouts. He's not going to be pitching to contact sort of thing. So yeah, it's 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 a tough decision. I mean, it's something that they they're they're certainly going to grapple with because he's got a like I said, he's got arm talent. So. You know, and if you and if you see him, he's a big physical guy. He's not. I mean, I wouldn't say he's a big physical guy, but I mean, he's certainly not a Nicky Lopez type of deal. But he has range. He's just a little bit, a little bit more filled out, I guess I would say. Um, 
he's a little bit taller. So, I mean, he, he it's going to be interesting to see how he replaces Nicky because Nicky had some unbelievable range yeah. at shortstop. So, I don't know where he projects in the lineup as far as his speed goes, but um, they really like that kid. So, he's one to watch. Uh, they're at left field, I think Riley Landite is a guy that projects as their long-term starter there, but he's injured right now. So, Brendan Hammer will be the opening weekend left fielder. Um, and Hammer's a guy who will, you know, he can, he, he's kind of versatile too. I think they'll, I wouldn't, you know, he's going to play some, he might DH a little bit. He might play some left field. He also might, you know, come out of the bullpen. And from what I heard, he's had some really good outings in the spring so far in their scrimmages. And when they were recruiting him, he, they were, he was a guy that everybody, you know, that when they were talking to him that they said, he's a guy you want to, you know, try out as a pitcher because, He's got a pretty effective arm, so I think they like. I wouldn't be surprised if Brendan Hammer gets to, you know, gets utilized in various ways this season. Um, he can contribute both with his bat in the field and on the mound. And uh, right now, he's your probably your opening day left fielder. Okay. And then Drew Smith will Drew Smith will be like a defensive replacement type of deal for when Hammer has to pitch from left field or um as a late defensive replacement in games kind of like a Will Bonsberger type of guy he's a speedy rangy outfielder who you know just if, if they have a lead to protect he'll be a guy they bring in to protect it and then center field will be Clark Brinkman um I hear he's got he's a pretty good athlete good range in center uh and then right field uh will be Will Robertson and that's a guy they're really excited about I think they like his bat um, he's got good power, and that's one of the things that I heard a lot in our in my conversation with Coach Service is that I think this team has a lot more just talent from a power perspective, from a power hitting perspective, than maybe some of his past teams. Okay, that'll um, get people excited. Yeah, I'm not sure how TD is going to handle that. TD Ameritrade Park is you know where power hitters go to die, so we'll see how well that goes, especially with some of these kids being young, you know, not necessarily physically matured yet, so. Um, you know, but yeah, they, Will Robertson is a guy that I think might be one of the impact players as a freshman. I think they like what what he brings at the plate um, from a power hitting perspective, from a guy who can drive in runs. Um, he's got a little bit of a wrist issue right now, but he, he's expected to be cleared by Friday, and he will be the opening day starter in right field. And I'm not sure where he slots in the lineup, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the middle of the order type of deal okay. based on what they think he can produce. And a guy who's injured right now um, that might be able to that might project as an outfielder based on his bat and things like that is Parker Upton. Um, he's a freshman from Grand Island, uh, but he's a little banged up right now, so I don't think he'll play for a couple of weeks. But he's a guy that maybe could fill that DH role or play one of the outfield spots in a spot start type of thing. Um, I think he was a middle infielder in high school, but I think he projects as an outfielder long term. So. That's kind of where they've moved him from now, and I think he'll probably stick there. And then, other than the guys we've mentioned right now, a designated hitter, I think Kyle Lopez is a guy I haven't mentioned that might get some chances to be the designated hitter, along with Isaac Collins and Brendan Hammer and Parker Upton. So that's pretty much how your lineup's going to go. Like I said, a lot of new faces other than a Modi. Um, it's going to be pretty much learning eight new guys, essentially, and what they're good at and how they can impact the game. So it'll be interesting. They start on Friday. Cannot wait. Um, 
you know, I know Ed probably really excited to just get things started, right? I know they do yeah. fall ball, then they take some time, and then they get, you know, really ramped up here these last couple of weeks. So I'm sure he was excited and excitable when you're talking with him. But kind of aside from the roster stuff and kind of walking through where guys might plug in, you know, any, you know, for us baseball nerds, Creighton baseball fans, like, you know, any any key kind of, uh, nuggets of information or things that Ed mentioned that you know you'd bring kind of bring to us as little pieces of fodder, you know, uh, to kind oh. of tide us over for a couple of days. Yeah, sure. I think uh, one thing maybe that is might be a little unconventional is I think this team is going to rely a little bit more on their offense than they have in the past for a couple of reasons. One, I think they have a lot more talent. Um. With the bat a little bit, I think they seem to think they do anyway. Um, they have a lot. They have. I mean, they they come in with a lot of confidence. We'll find out how they deal with Division One baseball. That's the learning curve. You know, that's the thing that Ed Service always talks about is how guys adjust to that. I mean, you know, you go through what Ger- what Mike Gerber went through. You go through like look at uh, you know Peter Nicky Lopez. I mean, look at all the guys recently that have had impacts late in their careers and. You know, even the, those are some of those guys even had slow starts and took a little while to develop. So, I mean, the Division One game is a you know there's an adjustment there. You know, they like they like Robert. I mean, you know, when when Service talks about Robertson, he mentioned Zach Davis. So, I mean, that's like when you wow. say that name. I mean, that seems to be like a guy who has an impact bat. You know, certainly you know what Emoti can do when he gets a hold of one. And uh, so, you I mean, there's just, they they have a lot of more they have a lot more talent. It seems like on paper, from an offensive perspective, and they're a lot they're a little bit more athletic than they were in the past. So, I think they might rely a little bit more on their offense. And the twofold part of that is that their defense isn't, you know, up to standard about what it you know for what it was in the past. I mean, I think one of the things he's been service has been harping on in during spring ball is that just throwing accuracy because he's really strict on being very specific with throwing to a target, not just necessarily throwing to an area of the base. So, you know, he put, I mean, no one coaches defense in the country better than he does, but right. You know, there's, there's a learning curve that comes with that as well. And I think right now they're a little bit behind that as a unit. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some, you know, the pitchers, the pitching, having an experienced pitching staff back is obviously going to be a help to that. But, you know, a lot of those guys are pitch to contact guys. Sure. Um, you know, especially Lacey yeah, and probably. and especially Lacey and Albrecht. I mean, Rogal is a guy that can strike people out, but uh, you know, the other two starters are usually pitch to contact guys, pound the strike zone, and breaking you know, balls, he, taking he, speed off, and trying to get guys off balance. Exactly. So it'll be an issue. It'll, you know, it'll be a learning curve for the defense, and then for the guys that you know are pitch to contact guys. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see some more high-scoring games, not necessarily because the pitching or the defense is struggling, but just because they don't necessarily have the range or the accuracy or some things to you know make some of the plays that the past defenses have, and then they might have to rely a little bit more on their offense, you know, for the first you know maybe a couple weeks or month or so, which isn't a terrible thing. I mean, you want to have a good offense, so uh, yeah, there's a lot of people <laughs> that would show up to TD Ameritrade Park to see a ball get knocked around the park there you go right uh um, so i mean maybe maybe a little more eight seven games instead of four to three so you know, but who what knows? we're saying is maybe a couple more errors in that in that in the e column up on the yeah, scoreboard maybe, to start maybe, the season sure yeah it might be a little more frustrating watching the, if the defense takes a little while to get going but okay um, that's, just, that's just on feel so we'll find out what they're like here 
pretty soon. Yeah. We'll be we'll able just... to analyze it. I guess we'll be able to analyze it a little bit more objectively after some games are played. That sounds good. I don't do much objectively, Matt, but you do. So <laughs> I'll rely on you heavily for that. That's yeah, fair. so the Jays open up this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Weather look like looks like it's supposed to be pretty decent down in Birmingham. They play the Blazers of UAB, whom they swept in Omaha last season. Um, yeah. So they'll be down all there. One, one, all one-one games, right? Yep, they'll be down there that weekend. And then they head out the following weekend to play a tournament out in Santa Clara, California, where they'll play Santa Clara on the Friday uh, Michigan on that Saturday, and then St. Louis University on that Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, two more road swings before uh, between that trip to California and their first home games. Unfortunately, Matt, you and I will be in New York City for the Big East basketball tournament yep. when the Blue Jays make their baseball home debut against Cal State Bakersfield March 10th, 11th, and 12th. But before that yeah, happens... That first homestand is always one we miss because basketball is usually in the postseason. So yeah, so that's going to be un- un- unfortunate. And even then, the next weekend too, when they play, hopefully things are breaking the Blue Jay basketball's way, and they're playing in the NCAA tournament that next weekend as well. So right. we might miss their first uh, five or six. See, home games. You know, I just caught that too. You said hopefully. Like I'm pretty sure both teams are locks, aren't they? I mean, oh, dude, we we've already talked for an hour and a half. You don't want to. Yeah, we can't go over the scenarios in which they lay an egg against Seton Hall. They lose to Georgetown again, who they just don't match up well against, it seems like, ever. Uh, They're going to lose at Villanova. And then you're looking at a a Providence team that's scraping, like, scrape. They're scraping some wins together in there. I think they're in Lenardi's last four in at this point. Um, Nothing's a given, Matt. Fair enough. God, didn't I just like I wrecked like an hour and a half of podcast with that thirty minute onslaught of you of did. realness. Yeah, it's just like you just had to shit go real. got real. You know, I'm not like very sentimental. A little bit, like I'm starting to, I, you know, I get a little sentimental, but I mean, I try to keep it in check, you know. But when Cedar Day rolls around, I don't know if you realize this, but like women's basketball's final homestand is this weekend. Oh, and and they're essentially pretty pretty. They're they're like probably closer to locked territory than the men. I won't say that so you can start rambling again, but I mean <laughs> the Ram- women are the women are pretty solid. Like that's gonna take an epic one for them not to make the tournament. So I mean these are the last two home games of the year. Yeah. And then that means that's the last two home games for Marissa Janning, who uh I was just talking with today. I the first women's basketball game I ever covered for White and Blue Review or, you know, in general. Yeah. Uh it was her first game at Creighton against Gosh, Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. I know the end of the ride, right? Yeah. So yeah, I'm like, I I got a little sentimental for a moment there. I was like, wow, that one. Like, she's been the only. I guess if I try to think about it, like that in the whole time covering Creighton, she's been you know the one common denominator athlete, like student athlete through the whole time. Sure. So that's Just like the end great, of the era. And a great, great person, a great player. Yeah. Um, has obviously gone through a lot and you've been right there and you know some of your best pieces I, I think back to the piece that you did with her I mean just outstanding stuff and you're right, right I mean it's tough to it's always I feel like just yesterday we we're talking about how oh we're getting ready to cover a little bit more women's basketball we'll talk about them in the next podcast and it's like end of the road almost for the, right. the season for them and um, you know it's interesting too how that breaks out because I you know the valley 
the women's basketball tournament was always the weekend after the men's. Yep. And now for the women here in the Big East, it's always the weekend before. So, yeah, there's just that extra amount of uh, – it just kind of creeps up on you, you know. It does. So, yeah, like senior day for Brianna Rollerson, Lauren Works, MC McGrory, Marissa Janning. This is uh, Sunday. It'll be, it'll be Sunday after – after the men play Georgetown, the women tip off, I think, at 5.30. 5.30, yeah, Fox Sports Midwest. Yeah, so, I mean, this is an extra hour for people to get up there. So, you know, if you know you want to see, you know, those those three players plus, you know, MC cheering them on for the last time, um, that I'm, I'm – I'm not gonna. I won't guarantee it, but I mean that's your last chance to see them because they're gonna make the tournament. And I hate to break it to you, they're not playing another game in Omaha. So right, Sunday will be their last one of which you is know, those, know. those players' careers and this one's season. So and good, for it's, it's already over. Yeah, I know, Matt. Basketball season just flew by. <laughs> We're talking about Ed Service and, and weather God. of in the weather at road games. Like that ship has sailed, man. It's baseball the whole time. Years going by. It's crazy. Pitchers and catchers reported today down pitchers in Arizona, and catchers. The Cubs are going to repeat, or what's going on you there? You know, right? baby. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait for them to miss the playoffs. It's going to be so exciting. I like. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> you thought I got real with the Jays finishing the rest of their men's like Cubs fans. Team. Like Cubs fans got entitled real quick. Like no. you guys forgot. You guys forgot that 108 years, like in a second. No, I think it's more like we're just trying to ride it out as long as possible before reality oh, okay. strikes. So you'll be back to being the lovable loser soon, is what you're saying? Uh, hopefully not lovable, and hopefully not losing. But yeah, maybe. So like, how do you how do you guys get that back? Because I mean, isn't that part of your DNA? Is like just expecting the worst to happen, and then that's where the jubilation comes from. Is when you guys, you know, beat the odds and make it happen, type of deal. I yeah, mean, you, you were mean destined. Like, you mean like being down three one in the World Series, going on yeah. the road and winning two games? Yeah, exactly. Or three two and winning three games. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was um, that was the way you had to win that World Series, right? Against all odds. Yeah, but now it's gonna be like when Boston did it, right? And they had dealt with shit luck and and just weird stuff for years and years. They went on a nice little run there, you know. And beca- but they became insufferable. Well, I mean, you agree with that? Well, yeah, one of the WBR <laughs> founders is extremely insufferable because of his love of all Boston sports. So yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> In a loving, in a loving, and I'm sure he's listening way. in a loving yeah, way, in an affectionate way. Sure, you can't just lump all fans together. Like when I say that when I was interacting with Providence fans at the Big East tournament, they were quickly mm-hmm. one of my least favorite fan groups ever to interact with, and that was after dealing with Wichita State and Southern Illinois and Southwest Missouri State slash Missouri State fans in St. Louis for years and years and years. But it was almost erased by one weekend in New York City. That's That'd awesome. be lumping them together because. One, that, of my, that, one of my best friends from college married a, a guy from Providence and have spent a ton of time with him, and he's totally cool. That was just a way for me to get a dig on those Providence fans because, man, I about pushed somebody down the escalator at MSG, and they would have wow. thrown me out like Charles Oakley back. Down the escalator at MSG. That would have made the, like, that would have probably made the New York, in what, page page three maybe? I, I forget what they call it, page six? Would it be page six? I don't know if it'd be page six. It'd be page three. A murder at Madison Square Garden. You know, what, like second degree murder type of thing? I feel like James Dolan might write that book just on the side for fun. Wow. I know, right? And it, yeah. I wonder if some, like, you know, some Oakley chants are going to break out at Madison when we're there. I kind of want to make a sign like, Charles Oakley, you're always welcome to come sit by the Creighton bench if you will teach (laughs) us how to rebound like a 
just <laughs> right. badass dog. <laughs> you teach us how to like beast Angel Delgado. <sighs> yeah, like show that dude what's up. Then I mean, I had I had a basketball crush on those Knicks teams because, like, I know everybody was all about Jordan, everybody was about the Bulls, but I don't know Starks and Oakley and those guys. Like, they were just and Patrick, obviously Ewing, but. They were fun to watch, man. They they got after it, and some of those big East or the Eastern Conference Finals, they were just ruthless games. Yeah, those were those were. That was when the game was like as tough as it possibly could be, right there. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you could. It wasn't for the weak of heart, for the no. faint of heart. Yeah, to be tough. Um, not not like LeBron's league now, where. Jeez. Like I can flop around like a fish, like a fish out of water. I never watch NBA games before the playoffs, but Saturday night I ended up getting sucked in to all the hype and the hoopla. I watched the fourth quarter of that Golden State and uh, Oklahoma City game. Man, I can't yeah. stand it, Matt. I know that you watch NBA games and stuff. I just can't do it. It was brutal. Like it's, I mean, I'm not under any like illusion that it's a different or that it's a better. Like I feel like it's too easy to say it's a better game just because they score more, but it's so you know, different than college hoops. Oh, so different. It is. And it's different than the NBA that it used to be too. Like Yeah. I just don't think teams like they don't I don't think they guard the same way at all. I still find I don't, it crazy I don't know how crazy. to explain like I find it crazy to believe that Russell Westbrook was almost a great blue jay. <laughs> that is pretty insane. Who was his who was his like recruiting who was the player that took him around again? I can't remember who I took him around, but um, was it Bishop or was it D'Angelo Jackson or who was the guy that t- <laughs> I don't know, man. Dominic Bishop, D'Angelo Jackson. Wow, those are names from the past. I don't know, but it's only because Jordan Farmer left to go to the NBA that we ended up that he ended up scooting over to UCLA. Or so. Jordan Farmer in the NBA. Like, yeah, first round draft pick, Jordan Farmer, right? Geez. So wow. don't tell me that Justin Patton can't go to the first round right now. At oh, he's gone. School. You know what I mean? He's gone. Yeah, he's gone. I don't want to make you sad again. He's gone. Yeah, <laughs> good for him, man. If he's gonna get that cash and that's what I mean, play, like, is that not a good thing? I mean, I feel like people are gonna be like, "Oh man, next year though." Like, yeah, but I mean, you got another guy in the pros. Isn't that what you want your program to be like? Because like, don't you don't you want Creighton to turn into an NBA factory? Like, is that not a good thing? Or? Right, because newsflash: the teams that are NBA factories are routinely playing in Final Fours. Yeah. people. like, come on, wake up. Like, guess guess what? Those one and duns usually lead to like Final Four national title runs, like Carmelo, Anthony Davis, like. Yeah, and I still remember Greg Oden. Yeah, Odin's Raven. I still remember Odin's when Corey Maggette left Duke after his freshman year, and people just lost it. Oh my God, how's people leaving Duke now? This is crazy. Yeah, Duke <laughs> went on to win some titles, and like Duke is routinely in the mix. Now I know they're Duke, and we're not, but yeah. still, I mean, they can start to, if Duke can handle guys taking off after their freshman year, sophomore year. Like I think that it would be a good problem to have to routinely have to try to plug in. Guys exactly. that want to develop for the NBA, you know, because I can think of oh more than a couple handful of players that we've had on rosters in Creighton's uh, not so uh, distant history that had no ability to even sniff playing in the NBA. So right, it, I feel yeah. Forgive me for being selfish and wanting some NBA level guys up in the program. Yeah, I hate to break it to you, but it's a it's a good thing to be a, from a recruiting perspective if you can tell high school players that yes, you can come to Creighton and yes, you can still have NBA dreams. So yeah, 
Creighton okay. knew what they were doing when they stuck those three NBA players on the wall at the championship center. They knew exactly what they were doing when they did that. So. Well, and that's what I was just going to say. I mean, how great of a situation <coughs> will it be when they have to start figuring out, well, shit, if we're going to go with this, how are we going to put more guys up on these walls? Exactly. You know? A good problem to have. Great problem to have. Yeah. Okay, so Justin's going in the top five. We established that. Creighton baseball, going to be outstanding. We established that. Creighton I, don't think basketball. We esta- I don't think we established going that. Going to lose the rest of their <laughs> games. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. But. And they're not a lock, but <laughs> they're close. Women's basketball, totally a lock. So men's basketball, you like you like you go all sunshine on me, and then you come back down to earth right there. The I'm basketball. just trying to keep my own equilibrium intact. No, but you no. already you already fell off the chair. Already, Jays are so. good. I mean, we didn't talk about it, but about 30 or 45 minutes before the game against DePaul in Chicago last weekend, the NCAA tournament held their first ever kind of sneak peek at the top 16 seeds of the NCAA tournament. Which, I mean, I, I saw a lot of people complaining about it on twitter because that's obviously what you do on twitter now but uh i was a big fan of it i thought any sunshine that they can give to uh to that i don't know where you stand with this map but i i mean i don't think it hurts and i think that you know for them to come out and say that creighton was it wasn't like a prognosticator saying creighton was the next team considered it was the director of the basketball committee saying creighton was the 17th team yeah i mean then you do you mentally you feel like that's a lock and you see them right in the mix with Again, the other f- the the fours and fives then being bandied about are schools like Duke and schools like Kentucky and you know programs that you want to be like. So um, for all that they've dealt with in the last month to be that that up there, I feel like that was um, a very telling about maybe where they stand in the committee's eyes and who cares about these other dudes doing bracket projections and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. So I, I mean I don't know if you listened, but I was uh I filled in for the budding superstar that he is, Nick Baugh, on his game time show on Friday, I think, maybe. Yeah. I don't remember what day it was. Um, but that was one of the topics Corey brought up was the whole selection committee releasing their top four seeds. And I'm, like, pro-transparency, so I said release the whole thing, you know, God, leading up to the answer. Because then you know, then, like, there's even more drama involved because I feel like the the teams that should have been shown were all, like, the 16 bubble teams maybe – you know, instead of the 16 that are at the top, maybe show the ones that are kind of battling for those final spots. Well, yeah, I mean, um, other than... But I, but I want the whole thing released. Just show the whole thing and show where everybody's at. I I'm agree. totally down for all that. Just get rid of all the... all the. I don't care if Selection Sunday's not dramatic or, you know, whatever. Everybody's going to watch it anyway to see where their team's playing, right? Well, to the see... The ratings will still be there. To see so Greg Gumbel. Like... They're not going to watch it. They, see... they want to see Greg. <laughs> Fair enough. Clark Kellogg, Greg Gumbel. They yeah. want to see Barry Charles Henson. Barkley. They want to see Barry Henson staring blankly at a television camera. <laughs> uh, exactly. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally in favor of releasing the whole bracket every week. Like starting with, I said start releasing that thing at the end of like do the first one after non-conference play is concluded. Sure. Just to kick off league play and then show like what teams kind of have to get their stuff together a little bit and then. Yeah, just do it, like, bi-weekly, maybe, you know, like, every two weeks, just do another one. You know, all the way up until the final Selection Sunday where you release the last one. So, like, I'm, I'm totally up for all of that. Yeah, and I think looking at last Saturday's, uh, I mean, I think the diehard Hoops fans were into it. But I think you'd have, much, you'd have a much larger grasp on the casual sports fan if it was that full release, right? Because yeah. then you get everybody riled up. And that's all these things are good for anyway is just – debating stuff i mean obviously a team like creighton they they're not gonna care they know what they have to do they're 
busy. Like they legitimately, literally, were getting ready to take the court if they yeah. were already on the court in Chicago. Like they're not watching that stuff, right? But fans are, and anything you can do to to kind of get the fervor uh, building as you enter the last. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but I love college hoops, and I think that from this week through the end of championship week. I just love it, man. Every night you can find six, seven games at mm-hmm. minimum that have impact on conference races, certainly. But then just all of this conjecture about where teams might be and seeds and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I, just, I get caught up in it, and I got I to gotta think that if you were doing some of this projection earlier, that other people or more people will get caught up in it. And that's good for what ultimately needs to draw viewers because – Last time I checked, Fox Sports One isn't kind of banging down the doors of uh, you know Super Bowl ratings or anything like that. So maybe uh, get some more people interested casually. Yeah, basketball fever, catch it right. Exactly. Yeah, that's I I, I love it. I released the whole thing. I said all sixty-eight. So where do you want to go? So you've seen the eight destinations. Obviously, the Jays are a lock, like you said. 100% um, Stone Cold Lock, Sharpie Lock, Matt DeMarino. Sharpie that thing. Lock. Sharpie. Creighton Sharpie. Uh, where do you want to go? I mean, do you want do you want the proximity of Milwaukee? Do you want the wonderful weather of Orlando? Do you want the Ugh. Fortress of Solitude like Buffalo? Where do you want to go? Well, see, this one, I'm going to have a little more of a unique perspective on this one. I, I would, if, if you're I'm just judging men's basketball only, I would prefer – Milwaukee, because I think what that goes to Kansas City, right? In the second weekend, type of not deal? technically, no. So this is oh. it's the deal where they they just do the locations, and then um, the locations for sec first and second games are not tied to the oh. uh, the regions anymore. So they could play in Orlando and still be technically in the Midwest region, or they could play in Milwaukee and be in the West. So. Oh, well, can they play in Milwaukee and be in the Midwest? Oh, sure. Yeah, oh, certainly. Well, do that. If yeah. They're a, <laughs> do yeah. that. Well, do that one. <laughs> yeah, if they're the – like the way that I've seen it recently and some of the better projections for them, right, is that they're a four seed, which is quote-unquote uh, uh, protected seed for location. So if they're a four, go to Milwaukee, win a couple games, go to Kansas City, get boat raced by Frank Mason – and ah. the miracle Jayhawks, jeez, they'll, was... they'll all be in. They'll all be in jail by the time. Oh wow, nice. They'll all be arrested or suspended. Yeah, that's not. That's gonna be the softest one seed you'll ever play. Yeah, uh, that's your sixteen-one upset right there. Finally happening right there. That would be interesting, right? We yeah. talked about how much parity there is in college hoops this year. Do you think whether it's Kansas or somebody else, a Gonzaga or something? I mean, Gonzaga's legit, but. Um, you think this might be the year? So, like, well, I mean, I will just, like, no, I don't. But, I mean, <laughs> right. it, just, like, let's pretend Creighton beats, like, has to beat a 12, a 13, a 16, a 15, and a, an 8, and a 7 to win a national title. Are you going to complain that they had, like, the softest road to a title in NCAA mm, tournament nope. history? Remember, <laughs> I'll have quit my job, and I'll be standing out on the corner of 72nd and Dodge for the rest <laughs> of the year. Right. Promoting Creighton basketball as national champions. That's what I'll be doing. I don't <laughs> really care who they beat. To get I don't there. want. Yeah, it's the worst panhandler of all time. I don't want money. I don't want anything. I just want you to know that Creighton won a national title in basketball. That's it. Okay. <laughs> yep. 
That's awesome. So yeah, yeah. If Creighton has the softest road ever, I don't. You're not, you're not going to argue with it. So. Doesn't matter. Line them up, sixteens. Let's go. Play four of those babies. So you want to go Milwaukee? Where else? What was your perspective? Oh yeah. So my 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 like my perspective on it is I am not. I'd like the women and the men to kind of get sent somewhere like geographically close to each other. Okay. So I don't know how many of those brackets line up properly, but. I think in the latest projection, the men are predicted to go to Milwaukee, and the women are going to Waco, so that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the women are going predicted to – I think they're an eight seed right now, playing Michigan State in Waco with Baylor waiting as the one seed. Mm. And, oh, the men are actually a five seed in Sacramento. Come uh, playing, on. Playing Belmont. Uh, with the UCLA Valparaiso winner waiting, so that's Joe Lenardi's latest, and that's that's kind of out of the norm because Joe's had a set of six pretty consistently the last week or two, so he must have tuned into that uh, show and now it's just copying notes or something. But yeah, um, God, remember when like five, six, seven years ago we would have been excited for a Creighton Belmont bracket busters matchup, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. How quickly things change in the college hoop landscape. Yeah, so I'm not crazy about Sacramento or Waco as destinations for either team. So uh, I would stay away from Waco, Matt. Yeah, Ain't I definitely. nothing good going on down there right now. No, I've driven by it a few times on my way to better cities, but. <laughs> you probably drove <laughs> sorry. past it sorry, Waco. times sorry on your way to Waco. Austin. Yeah, sorry for the Waco listeners there. Right. Uh, yeah, Sacramento, though. What's that like? You ever been to Sacramento before? No. Yeah, me either. Sounds like you might have a trip coming up, though. So. We can see Anthony Tolliver. What's up? Anthony hey, would probably hook us up, man. Yeah, that's right. Anthony was uh, a guy that grew along with the uh, the original Blue Jay basketball blog that I ran. So I was the oh, one really? who coined the term Jeffany Tolliday back when he and Jeff Day were split minutes. And now, <laughs> Jeffany Tolliday, that's so great. And now Anthony Tolliver is uh, a working man in the NBA. Is getting checks and making people's lives better and yeah. doing a great job all around. Now it's great to see him doing so well, you know. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Another another solid representative of Creighton University. I mean what can we say? Yeah. Um It really is a blast to cover all these people because they are good people too. I mean, I it's I, I feel like we should brag about them more. I mean you, know, you see all other universities, we won't name them, but I mean you know, beating wives and going to jail and doing all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, we don't, that doesn't happen at Creighton for some reason. So we don't come out in our TV commercials and just say, and we're pretty good at basketball too. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. By the way. Oh yeah. We're all, we're decent slash mediocre. Most years at basketball <laughs> come, to, come to Seton Hall. I think that's a good way to end the show, considering the game that's going to be played tonight. You know, so when most yeah. listeners take this out, Jays at Seton Hall tonight, seven o'clock Central Time, CBS Sports Network. Blue Jays looking to move their road record to an amazing eleven and one. I mean, yeah, eleven and one, ten and one on the road right now. You've got like Seton Hall being lost number two on this whole year. Ah, see. See how, see how statistically you gotta figure there's gonna be like a regression, right? But oh, so I don't you're know. just playing, you're just playing the law of averages. Like this road record is gonna 
regress to the mean type of deal or something. Maybe, like that. but as I stated earlier, I'm terrible at math, so I wouldn't take anything I say about means and regressions seriously at all. Okay, so I'm predicting a win. Brian's got a loss, and then email him after the game. Sounds good. And the next time we talk, we'll be talking uh, a recap of Creighton baseball's first weekend. We'll be talking two Creighton men's basketball wins against Seton Hall and Georgetown. We'll be talking about an emotional weekend at Sokol Arena with uh, the women's basketball team's final two home games of the season and just getting you caught up with everything else that matters to Blue Jays sports fans anywhere in the world. So for that and after we thank our great sponsors, Lawlers Custom Sports. Thank you, Lawlers. Thank you, Lawlers. Thank you, Lawlers. We'll be rocking our Lawlers gear in New York City in a couple weeks. So... Um, we hope to see and talk to a lot of you guys and gals out there as well. We'll be doing some special podcast stuff out from New York City while we're there, so still working on those plans right now. But um, in the meantime, in the next three and a half like, weeks. You think just, we should get like a giant Lawler's billboard and like bring it to New York and like just stand on the corner and just like flip that sign around like they do, you know? Oh, that's a – yeah. I mean, I've I – mean, that's a lot of people be walking by and seeing that thing, you know. All we gotta do is like an address, a phone number, and a website. Like, I like where you're we could like crash Lawler's site in like a weekend, right? <laughs> Probably not something that you want to do necessarily, <laughs> right? But uh, I like where you're not ideas. At. I mean, the city that never sleeps. I'll be out there at like two thirty in the morning. We'll do shifts, right? You know, if yeah. we could get Charles Oakley to wear a Lawler's oh. shirt at MSG. At and MSG. then and then instigate him to get into a fight with James Dolan and all the stations carry it. Yeah, in Lawler's decked out in Lawler's gear. Oh like, my god, that'd be amazing. On. That'd be like the equivalent of Bud Crawford whooping on mar- people wearing Jay's gear. Seriously, that is a marketing home run right there. All right, we'll talk to Pat Lawler about that. See if we can't Sounds get good. a size triple X uh, Jay's T-shirt for one of the greatest <laughs> uh, rebounders in uh, the last thirty years in the NBA, but. Until then, we will certainly have some more podcasts for you between now and the end of the season. Thanks to Lawlers for making that happen. Thanks for all of you for listening to nearly two hours of podcast tonight. Just a really solid job tonight, Matt. Yeah. Um, good rambling. Good rambling, man. If I wasn't afraid that I'd get sued by the Allman Brothers estate, I would totally play a rambling man as the exit music for this. But yes. instead, we'll stick for our good friend Spring Gun, old Omaha band Spring Gun. Uh, and their song New Bass that's the song we open and, and close the show with uh, most episodes but um, yeah everybody thanks for listening we appreciate you tuning in tell your friends about us or if you didn't enjoy this one maybe give us a, another chance in the next episode and uh, we hope to be bringing you some really uh, positive Jays coverage here in the next couple weeks Matt anything else you want to say before we close the show tonight no I'm good I'm all talked out cool man get some Solid rest session. Get, yeah, it was a long session. Get some rest now. You got uh, a lot of basketball to watch here in the next couple of days. So Absolutely. Okay. For Matt DeMoranis, I am Bryant Ott for whiteandbluereview.com. Signing off for this episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast with a hearty thank you and a go Jays. <laughs>